think all of us hate that something is missing feeling. You know, you're doing a puzzle, putting it together, and a piece is missing. Lousy feeling. Are you going to play a board game and the dice, they're missing? You're going to bake chocolate chip cookies and really? The chocolate chips are missing? How about the home project where you're getting ready to do something, fix something, and the hammer is missing? It's terrible when something is missing. And more than just something being missing, how about when someone is missing? When a person is missing. So you have a coworker or a teammate and they don't come to the game or they don't come to work. That's difficult. Someone's missing or every parent has misplaced a child at some point, right? Or that kid gets lost in a crowd. And that feeling is terrible when a child is missing. Worse, probably when you lose a loved one and there's the grief of them missing at the dinner table. That something is missing, that someone is missing feeling is terrible. And I think all of us would do almost anything to keep that from happening. We, we don't want that to happen, and you know, neither does God. So we're, we're in this kind of slow walk right now as a church through the book of Genesis, through the first two chapters of Genesis, Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, trying to learn what our purpose is, why we're here, what we're made for. And God, in the passage we're going to look at today, notices that something is missing. And he not only diagnoses the someone is missing problem, he solves it for us. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 25. Turn them on if you have an electronic copy, follow along in paper. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. Now, I got to tell you, it's really hard for me to stay put right now. I want to jump out of my socks because I love this passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. And as we go through it, I think you're going to see that it's familiar. It's not really anything new. Probably many of you have heard these words before, but they're still awesome. I mean, the characters in the story, it's God, man, and animals, right? That's a great story. It's man, woman, and sex. Great story. It's a passage of scripture that could, for some of you, bring up some emotion. Emotions that are hard. It's also the kind of passage that leaves people scratching their heads and going, I have more questions than answers. But if we can lean in for a few minutes together to these words from God about his design for us as men and women, there is an incredible amount of hope and help. And so I just want to pause with you before we jump into the text and ask God to help us. God, please whether the individuals are watching this online or here on campus, would you help us? You know each one of us, our story. You know our hopes and our fears, our strengths and our weaknesses. You know our doubts and our confusions. You know our struggle. Would you, Holy Spirit, use your word, which is living and active, to do some work in us because our world is chaotic and sin has broken so much. Confusion is, the, is what's happening in our day and the relationship between men and women is just strained and there's just so much baggage. 
Would you, Holy Spirit, clear away the baggage and allow us for a few moments to see your good design? Help us to lean in, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Remember, these verses are in the context of someone is missing. So up to this point, as we've looked at it, God has described everything he's made as good. He makes this and it's good. He makes this and it's good. He makes this and it's good. And then he says, it's very good. But here in Genesis 2.18, for the first time, God is going to say, it's not good. What's not good? Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Can we all agree that this is true? Like, I like some alone time. I can handle with a little bit of alone time. I can have some extended periods of alone time. But if I'm alone all the time, is that good? I mean, that's not good or healthy for anyone. So we can all agree it is not good for man to be alone. And he goes on to say, I will make a helper suitable for him. Think about this. God says it's not good for man to be alone. He's walking and talking in the garden with man. So is man really alone? I mean, if you could walk and talk in your garden with God, would you really be alone? Wouldn't you think that God would be enough and you wouldn't need anyone or anything else? And God's like, yeah, I am enough for you as creator and as Lord, but there's something missing. There's someone missing. I'm going to make a suitable helper for you. Because when someone is missing, something is missing too, right? Can we all agree that all of us have unique personalities? All of us have strengths and weaknesses. All of us, when we come to the table, so to speak, we bring things with us. When someone is missing, there is something missing. God's diagnosing the problem. And he's saying, yes, man, I created you to have a relationship with me but man was not made to live on earth by himself, alone. Instead, God says, I'll create a suitable, suitable helper for you. We're going to get back to that phrase, suitable helper, or helper suitable. I'll get back to that in just a moment. Let's watch what happens next. Verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. God brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. God says it's not good to be alone. Then he throws a parade, right? He brings all the animals. They march by him in front of the man, and the man names all of them. But among all the animals, no suitable helper was found. No, duh. Like, God knew that. God knew that the parade of animals would not solve the problem. Why did he parade the animals by? Because man didn't know that. Man didn't know that he was encountering aloneness, even with God and with animals. And I think man probably was like, wow, that one's cool. That one's kind of neat. I'll call that one a golden retriever and he'll slobber all over me and be my companion. Like, and he looks at an ox and he goes, oh, that's kind of cool. That thing can help drag a plow and help me 
do my work. He looks at the animals and he sees that they can partner together, but there's still something missing. Hear this. Excuse me. Man has a relationship with God, and God is a superior. It's a superior partnership. Man now has a relationship with animals, and animals are an inferior partnership, but man does not have a partner. Something's missing. God knows it, and now after, after the parade of animals, now man knows it's not good to be alone. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she is taken out of man. There you go. The solution to it all, right there, right? Man has this intimate relationship with his creator. It's a partnership where God and man and man and God are working together on planet Earth. God is the superior and man obeys God. And now man has a working relationship with animals where animals provide companionship and partnership and work, but man is the superior and animals obey man. Still something is missing. God creates woman from man, partners side by side, problem solved, no more drama, no more tension, and they lived happier ever after, and it was great, drama-free paradise, right? All we need is just a man and a woman, and everything's great from here on out. Yeah, nah. Sadly, right, sin enters the world, and God's good design is hijacked. Instead of a beautiful partnership of women and men, there's tension, there's abuse of power, there's sexual sin, there's sexism, and everything created good, especially this partnership between men and women. It's distorted, it's broken, it's busted. Instead of happily ever after, it's just drama. So let's slow down for a moment and go back and take a closer look at this original design. Genesis 2.18, again. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. When you see that word helper, what do you think? I'll make a helper suitable for him. For most of us, helper has kind of a negative connotation. I'll get my helper to do that. Let's call the help. It has this like condescending, inferior sense to it. So it'd be easy to look at this and go, wait, women are men's helper? Is that what this is? And sadly, that's how some men have treated women, as inferior helpers. But that's not the meaning here. That's not what the word helper means, and that's not God's design for women. So, so strap in here and listen. When you study the word helper in the Bible, here's what you find. Helper is used this word is used 21 times in the Old Testament. And so one of the things you can do is you look at all the times the word is used in the Bible and it starts to paint a picture of what the word means. Twice here in Genesis, we use the word helper in relationship to a woman. 
Three times the word helper is used to describe Israel seeking help from other countries. The remaining 16 times that the word helper is used, it's to describe God. This word helper, the vast majority of the time, is used to describe the King of Kings, the Almighty, the Omnipresent, all-knowing God of the universe. Psalm 121, I'll lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. I don't have a negative connotation of God being my helper. Do you? I am desperate for God to be my helper. I need a strong, smart, capable God who is mighty in battle and a shield. Now God says it's not good for man to be alone. Something is missing from his earthly experience. He needs a strong, capable partner by his side to protect him. And then the word suitable. Suitable is really important. It says, I will make a helper suitable for him. I'm going to supply for this man something that's lacking, something that's missing, something that needs a corresponding counterpart. So when you put these words together, helper, strong, shield, corresponding counterpart, you find woman is not a rival, woman is not a duplicate, woman is a complement to man. This is nothing about inferior. This isn't who's stronger or weaker, who's smarter, who knows more. It's not more capable. It's complement each other and fill in what's lacking. Something is missing. So up to this point, track this, this is nothing to do with romance and sexuality. This is just about men and women. And there's something not about rival, not about duplicate, something about corresponding counterpart. Something is missing for humanity to be created in the image of God and accomplish God's purposes. Man needs woman and woman needs man. Check out Genesis 2, 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So man and woman, woman and man, they're emotional beings, they're mental beings, they're relational beings, they're spiritual beings, they're physical beings, and yes, they are sexual beings who are different but the same. They complement and correspond to one another, and they're standing there in the garden naked, and they feel no shame, and yet they can look at each other and go, they're different, right? But nobody's saying, do I look fat? And nobody's saying, should I shave my back? Like, none of that is going on. There's something about this corresponding, complementary, unique, same, both physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually, but different and corresponding together. Man and woman, corresponding complementary physical parts with the ability to interlock sexually. 
That's a very clear design feature, right? It's not an accident. So we read there's a purpose behind God's design, Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. He creates male, creates female. He says, guys, rule over. Here's my garden, here's my world. Rule over it, subdue it. But did you catch what he also said first? Be fruitful and multiply. That written into the very beginning, there's a part of God that the purpose of his world can't be done by just men. It can't be done by just women. It requires a corresponding, complementary, physical part that intersects together to create life. So right here in the opening chapters of the Bible, we find God's design for human sexuality. The two become one. The God made sexual union between one man and one woman in this lifelong commitment of marriage and that one of our foundational purposes while we're here on planet Earth is to fill the world with people. And it can't just happen with just a man or just a woman. So clearly there's something sexual in these early chapters that are defined for us that we have to pay attention to. But so often these verses become all about sexuality because we make everything about sex. Sadly, there's more here than just sexuality. There's something greater that if on planet Earth there was only God and only men, something would be missing, clearly. If on planet Earth there was only God and only women, something would be missing. Instead, God creates men and women, women and men who are equal and distinct. That they're not rivals, they're not duplicates, there's something corresponding about our lives. That we're commanded by God to fill the world, to rule the world as partners together Not just men, not just women. We need men and women together, side by side. We're designed by God to find our greatest sense of satisfaction and purpose side by side. What I'm about to say is not about romance and it's not about sexuality. This is simply about gender. Ready? If you're a man, then you're created by God to have friendships and partnerships with other men. You definitely are going to have some bros. You're definitely going to have guys that you hang out with, guys that you love partnering with, guys that you love being with. But something would be missing if you only had relationships with just men. You would feel alone. You would feel isolated. You'd feel incomplete. And for women, You were made to partner together, yes, to have great relationships and friendships and partnerships with other women, but if you're only partnering with other women, something is missing. You'd feel alone. You'd feel isolated. You'd feel incomplete. Sin has this way of distorting and hijacking all of this. Something is missing in all of us. It's not good for a man to be alone. Something is lacking It's not good for a woman to be alone. Something is lacking. And you see this in the innocence of children, don't you? 
I mean, go look at a playground of a bunch of little kids. They're not thinking about sex at all. They're not thinking about roles. They're just kids playing together, and it doesn't matter who's what. They're just playing. They're just together. But as we mature into adulthood, as sin, the sin of ourselves and the sin of others and generations of sin mount onto generations of sin, it takes what God created good, hijacks and distorts it and makes everything about sexuality and erodes this beautiful partnership of men and women side by side together accomplishing God's purpose where someone is missing, he supplies someone. Get practical with you for a moment. I think the text surfaces these questions for us to ask ourselves. Have you ever encountered your own aloneness? Have you ever noticed within your own self how lonely, how isolated, how something is missing, how it is not good to be alone? Have you felt that? I think we all have to a degree. But what we learn here in the beginning of Genesis is that aloneness can only first and foremost be solved by God. If you feel alone and you Get a new best friend, get a new girlfriend, get a new boyfriend. You get all kinds of things, but you miss God, you will be isolated and alone forever. You might go, well, I, I've done religion, I've been to catechism, I've, I, I come to church every Sunday. I'm not talking about religion, I'm talking about Jesus. That Jesus wants a relationship with each one of us and that each one of us can make a choice to have a relationship with the King of Kings, but it isn't just gonna happen because you do religion. It's when you realize how alone, how needy, how lost, how broken, how sinful, how shameful you are, that you start to see and go, I need you, God, because without you, God, I will be alone, isolated, broken forever. I think in the Garden of Eden, when God brought a parade of animals by Adam, God knew that the parade would not satisfy Adam. That there was a lot of good things in the parade of animals, a golden retriever and an ox and a koala bear, like all good things, but he knew that that parade would not satisfy Adam. Sometimes I think God parades a lot of stuff in front of you. He parades in front of you a new car, a new job a new romance, a new sexuality, a new fill in the blank. He parades all kinds of things in front of us and he knows that these are good things, a lot of it's good stuff, but it will never satisfy you that only Jesus will satisfy you. And so if you look at all the created things that are paraded in front of you and you desperately try to find your satisfaction in a new fill in the blank or a better high, or more sex, if you think those created things will satisfy you, they just leave you more alone, but not Jesus. And so if you're listening online, or you're here present on the campus, you don't need to leave here alone. Jesus wants a relationship with you. 
And all you have to do is say, I'm broken, I'm lost, I don't know you. You know me, but I don't know you. God, would you enter my life? Would you forgive me? Would you change me from the inside out? And watch how the King of kings and Lord of lords enters your life and began to give you hope. Just watch. And many of us here are followers of Christ, and yet I can raise my hand and say, I still feel alone. Just because I have a relationship with God and I'm walking and talking with him doesn't mean I'm not feeling and experiencing aloneness. Have you ever felt alone? What do you do with that? I wound up interacting with a bunch of people in this gig, as you can imagine. And there's a bunch of people that complain about how alone they feel all the time. And I ask them, what are you doing about it? And no, no. Baby, there's a time and a place to grow up. If the creator of the universe made you to live in community and connection with other people and you don't pursue that, then of course you're gonna feel alone. Maybe it's time to grow and get involved in a small group where you're connected with other people and you're meeting with other people and praying with other people and learning with other people. Maybe it's time you have a hang-up an addiction, a problem, that it's time to get into recovery because that addiction and that hang-up is gonna keep you alone and isolated. You'll grow increasingly alone and isolated in your addiction. So come and be a part of Celebrate Recovery. Maybe it's time to start serving someone and getting outside of yourself and saying, God, you said it is not good to be alone. I will take that seriously and I will pursue relationships. I won't wait for someone to come to me. I'm going to pursue a relationship. And I know that's hard, but some of us need a little kick in the butt to say, it's time to not feel alone anymore. I'm going to do something about it. I also know there are many of you that have tried to do something, and my heart breaks for you. Don't stop pursuing relationships. Don't stop. It's what you were designed for. Ask God to help you with that, but maybe it's something deeper that I think, again, this text brings up. Do sexual brokenness and sexism define your view of women and men? I think the text brings this to the plate and says, look at this part. Because you feel isolated and alone, is it possible that your sexual brokenness or sexism is what's driving your aloneness? It might be. It might be. Let's be honest, all of us are the product of sexual sin. There's not a person in the sound of my voice that is not the product of sexual sin. Here's how I know. Could you sit here and be naked and not ashamed? Some of you are blushing just thinking about it. This original two individuals in a garden, they are naked and unashamed which says to me that generation after generation, generation after generation, down to me and down to you, have been impacted by sexual sin. And that brings shame into our lives. Some of us have been sexually abused. Some of us are sexual addicts. All of us have been impacted by sexism. Historically, men have mistreated and abused women at home, at work, in the church. 
So all of us have experienced the hijacking of God's good design for men and women. All of us. But how much is that impacting your life? I I don't know, but it can contribute to your sense of aloneness and isolation. Newsflash, every woman, every woman is created in the image of God. She is your sister. Every woman No caveat, no exception. Every woman in your life is your sister. She's not your toy. She's not simply your friend. She's not your business partner. She's your sister. Every man is created in the image of God. He is your brother. He's not your thing to manipulate or control or try to overpower He's your brother. Is that how you see every man and woman you interact with? Is that how you interact with people of the opposite sex? Is that how you act with the people of your same sex? That that's my sister, that's my brother? It's the distortion of sin. It's not a bad design. God made us this way, and it's very good. Perhaps the reason we feel isolated and incomplete is because we don't have a healthy view of men and women. We're made for each other. So ask the God of the universe, if in the first moment of history, God says to that man, it's not good for you to be alone, I'll make a suitable helper for you, then maybe we should be going to that same God and saying, you said it wasn't the good, so would you make for me a suitable helper? Talk to God about it. Tell him that. Maybe for you, it's he's going to bring into your life a new friendship with someone of the same gender, a new partnership. Maybe for you, it's going to be a new healthy relationship with a person of the opposite sex that is not sexual at all. It's a partnership, a friendship. Maybe there's a new healthy romance for you around the corner. Maybe there's a renewed sense of love towards your spouse. The God of the universe says it's not good for you to be alone, and he makes a corresponding, complementary person, people, for us to interact with. But we've been so hijacked by sin, we don't see individuals. And there's so much confusion and brokenness I mean, right now, in our culture, there's gender confusion. And some of you might go, oh, that's just stupid. That's just media. Like, no, there's real struggle here. And people that are struggling with a broken, confused sense of their identity, if that's you today, and you're struggling with gender confusion, hear this. The God of the universe knows you and loves you, and you are not an accident. He wants a relationship with you. He can help you. He can come alongside you. He can encourage you. Ask God, whatever stage and situation you're in, be honest with him about your sin and your brokenness. Confess it to him and ask him, God, would you make a suitable helper, a suitable friend, a suitable partner to come alongside me in my aloneness? But here's the deal. Even in the healthiest relationships that we all have, we'll still be let down, we'll still be disappointed, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, his name is Jesus. He will never let you down. He knows the exact spot, the exact struggle, the exact temptation, 
the exact situation, he will come close to you. He will walk beside you. He will help you fix your eyes on Jesus. He is your source of peace and joy. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word that's alive to modern ears. Some of these things sound archaic, but it's because of sin and brokenness. What a great design to make us like you. You exist, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you make us in your image, men and women, that together, men, women, and God, we form an incredible partnership that satisfies, gives us a sense of purpose. God, for the brokenness that some of us struggle with sexually to the sexism that still exists in our hearts, we confess to you our sin. We ask for your forgiveness. Please invade our hearts with truth and grace and forgiveness and peace. Help us to know that you will never leave us or forsake us. So wherever we are on this journey, we're made for a purpose. We're no accident. You love us and have plans for our lives. We submit and surrender ourselves to you. I pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.